Call it, Who's Your Daddy? I always knew I would preach a message called that. But I do want to ask a very serious question today. Who's your spiritual daddy? Who's your spiritual father? Let's look at what Jesus said about this, because he did say a lot. John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus told them, now he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees who were not fans of his. It's a hostile environment. And Jesus, if you want to read a serious chapter where Jesus is really as close to a hellfire and brimstone preacher as you're going to get, it's chapter 8, the second half, because he gets down and dirty with these guys here. Tells them the truth. Now look what he said. If God were your father, he's talking to teachers of the word. If God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are, uh-oh, he's really cutting loose here. You are the children of your father who? Wow. Your daddy is the devil, he says to these guys. Pharisees, Sadducees, respected teachers of the word and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, talking about the devil. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, for teaching us out of your word and helping us to make the distinction helping us to see, Lord, the truth from the error. We thank you for drawing everyone whose heart might be far from you today, drawing them near. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. And let me talk to you about this for a little bit today. And in this passage, Jesus is talking with people who professed belief in his teaching. They had said things to him like, we know you're a teacher from God. We know you're, what you're saying is from God. And, and we, we, you know, we, we attest to that. We got it. And Jesus is not blasting scribes and Pharisees here. He's blasting people who claim his name, which is why we need to sit up and take note. Because as Billy Graham said so many years ago, the greatest harvest field is the church. There are so many people sitting in churches all over America who assume that they've been born again, assume they're right with God, assume they're saved because they're in a building. But a building doesn't save you. Being a member of a church doesn't save you. Um, none of those things save you any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Amen. So... The whole discussion here on John 8, the last half of the chapter, is on who's your father? Or can you really claim God in heaven as your spiritual father? You ought to read it. It's a back and forth between Jesus and these teachers of the law. Who's your father? Who's your daddy? How can you say God's your father? Jesus really goes at it with them. And, he, and I want you to notice carefully what Jesus said here. He said, while we all have an earthly father... We also have a spiritual father, every one of us. 
And there are two choices, God or the devil, according to Jesus. Now, I'm just reading to you what the red ink says, what Jesus said. Jesus said, if God were your father, there's your first option, if God were your father, you would love me, Jesus said. But then he turned right around and said, you are the children of your father, the devil. Second option. You either have God as your father, spiritually speaking, or you have the devil as your father, spiritually speaking. So catch this now. According to Jesus, along with having an earthly father who begat us, which all of us have, we also have a spiritual father to whom we are directly linked and whose character we reflect. Most people never think about that. That's never occurred to most of the folks walking around out there. But we do have two fathers, one physical, one spiritual. Now, I read that and I go, I want to know what Jesus meant by the devil being a spiritual father. How can that be? Because that's pretty harsh. That's pretty strong. It sounds sinister. It sounds way out there. That's a strong statement to make. Try bringing that up in the elevator on your way to work. Well, let me explain to you what Jesus meant. The Bible teaches that when Adam and Eve fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, all of mankind came under a curse. There were original parents. There were two original people. They did not evolve from apes. They were created fully mature, fully adult. They were the heads of the human race, Adam and Eve. God created them perfect. He created them mature, there was no evolutionary process. And the Bible teaches that Adam and Eve fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. And when they did, all of mankind came under a curse. And what was the curse that man came under? The Bible says it was the curse of death. Let me inform you today that God never intended for us to be looking into a casket at the body of a loved one in a final goodbye. That was never God's plan. God created men and women to live eternally. It was the entrance of sin into the human race that brought death. The consequence of sin is always death. Romans 5.12 says, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what we need to be telling our country. This is the truth about human nature. This is why we're in so much trouble. Can I tell you, we don't have a, a drug problem or an adultery problem or a murder problem or a theft problem. We have a sin problem. Sin. And the Bible says when Adam and Eve sinned, they died. Something in them was changed. They underwent a change, a metamorphosis in their character. The Bible says in Romans 5, 18, judgment fell on everyone through the failure of one person. Now I read that and I say, that's not fair. I wasn't in Eden. I didn't eat that fruit. Why did I die? Why was it visited on me? Well, that's a fair question. The Bible says before the fall, Adam was sinless. He was perfect. He was good. He had a good nature. Adam and Eve were glorious beings. 
When Adam and Eve were created before the fall, I believe they walked in the Shekinah glory of God. I believe they glowed in the dark. The glory of God, the light of God, shined on them and through them. They were incredible beings that if we could see them today, it would just blow our minds. They never had a shadow come between them and God until the fall. They walked with Him in the cool of the garden. They conversed with Him. They knew Him intimately. They loved Him. He loved them. They never had to repent until they fell. They would wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, Father. And at night, Good night, Father. It was a beautiful, unbroken relationship with God until that day that they sinned. And the Bible says that when they sinned, Adam's nature, which had been good, after the fall, he became a sinner. His nature was changed from good to bad. He began to experience a bent towards evil, a bent towards wrong, inclinations that led him into disobeying and rebelling against God. Have you ever noticed, you don't have to teach a child to lie, to steal, to rebel, to sass you. They know how to do that all on their own. We're always trying to make them good. You know why? Because here's an irrefutable, inescapable fact of life. Since we are Adam's children, we inherit his sinful nature. Human nature was corrupted through Adam and Eve, and that corruption is passed on to the entire human race, and nobody is exempt, not one person. We're all born with that inclination, that bent towards sin, except Jesus Christ. You know why Jesus Christ didn't have that bent towards sin? Because he did not have a human father. He did not inherit Adam's sin and his sinful nature because he wasn't born of a human father or begotten of a human father. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus didn't have the Adamic nature that we do. None of us come into the world innocent or holy or with a halo over our head. The Bible teaches we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. David said, in sin my mother conceived me. I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Now as people that sin, it's hard to sound, or it's hard to listen to, it's hard to wrap your mind around, and we don't like to hear it, but let's tell the truth about people, about human nature. Here it is, because we are born with Adam's nature, we share many of the characteristics and similarities of the devil. Jesus said, if God is not your father, he said, then you are children of the devil. Well, who wants to be told that? And I would have a problem with that if it did not come from Jesus Christ. But Jesus told us that. He said, well, how am I like the devil? First, our conduct is like his. Before we're saved, our conduct is just like the devil. 1 John 3, 7 to 8 says, little children, make sure that nobody deceives you. He said, I don't want you to be confused about this or deceived about this. I want you to know the truth about human nature. Here it is. John goes on, the person who practices sin belongs to the devil because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. He says, you want to know how you're like the devil? You sin like the devil. You are involved in sinful lifestyle like the devil. That's why we need to be saved. Because until we're saved, we're sinning 
living in sin just like the devil. Think about where you were when Jesus saved you. Were you playing a harp with a halo over your head in some choir somewhere, sitting in church, never doing anything wrong? No, no, no. Listen, I thank God that he pulled me up out of a sinful pit. He stood me on a rock. He established my goings. But he didn't find me doing good. No, no, no. He found me doing wrong. What about you? Some of y'all look at me like, not me, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> children of the devil live like the children of the devil. It's, it's sort of like, like father, like son. Can we tell the truth about human nature here? America is in deep trouble today because of sin. And we got a sin problem. Like I said, it's not a drug problem, murder problem. It's not a political problem. We have a sin problem. And America has walked away from God and walked away from the Savior and given up on the Bible and gone towards secularism. And because of that, we are being devoured and destroyed by sin. We need revival and we need it now. We need it today. Paul tells us real clearly what our lives were like before we turn to Christ Jesus, he tells us the way we were. Here's the way we were. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. What were you like and what was I like when we got saved? We were dead. Our spirits were dead. Our souls were dead. You used to live in sin, Paul goes on, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. That's the way we were. We lived in the motions of sin. Nobody taught us to do it. It came natural because of our nature following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Now listen to what he says. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Why was God angry? Our very nature brought us into judgment. Why? Because our nature was Adam's nature. We had Adam's fallen nature. And that's why God had to deal with it. That's why God had to fix it. Can I tell you what Jesus did on the cross? Picture a cross right here, great big cross. When Jesus died on that cross, he took that old Ad Adamic Adam's nature and he crucified it on the cross with him. Your old man, that old nature that led you into sin and got you into so much trouble, if you're a believer, has been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. So say with me, he's dead. I hear you say to yourself, well, then how come he's not acting like it? Because you've got to crucify him every day, but he's dead. And not only are we like the devil in conduct and that we sinned all the time, but our character is also like his. Think about it. An action flows out from what a person is on the inside. The devil is evil by nature, and what he is decides what he does. And it's the same with us. We would not sin outwardly if we weren't sinful inwardly. So the fact is when Adam and Eve sinned, they passed on to the entire human race a fallen nature. Everybody's got one. 
We in turn commit our own sins out of that nature. And that's why we needed Jesus to come and die for us. And this is why Jesus was so emphatic. And this is where I want to go with this today. I want you to understand that without the cross of Christ, the human race is completely and totally hopeless. There is no hope apart from the cross of Christ. You can't hug a tree and fix it. You can't philosophize your way out of it. You can't do New Year's resolutions and make it right. You can't change yourself. We have a fallen nature and we need help from God or we can't be fixed. This is why Jesus was so emphatic when he said, we must experience a radical overhaul, a totally new beginning. One night, an older man came visiting Jesus. This guy was in the Sanhedrin. He was brilliant. He was a master of the Old Testament, a master of the law. And he came to Jesus by night. His name was Nicodemus. And he said, hey, I know that you come from God and you're doing these miracles. And hey, you know, I'm with you. You know, groovy. Uh, great. Jesus totally ignored him and looked at him and said, Nicodemus, listen carefully to me. I assure you most solemnly, I tell you that unless a person is born again from above, he cannot ever see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is taken back. What are you talking about? How can I be born again? I'm born already. Jesus said, how can you be a master of Israel, a teacher of the law, and you don't understand nor remember that Ezekiel prophesied and said, the day is going to come when I put my spirit within you and I give you a brand new heart and a brand new spirit. How can you not remember that, Nicodemus? Because I see in the scriptures that you say you know. The prediction of what I just told you, I'm going to give you a brand new nature because the old Adam nature has got to go. You're going to have to be born again. Now, here's what bothers me as a preacher, and, and, I, and I feel like I'm always having to answer the media because it's the phrase born again has been so corrupted, so misunderstood. It's used all the time now, but not the way Jesus meant it. Let me tell you what Jesus did not mean. He did not mean that born again is like a New Year's resolution. Well, I'm going to be a better person. That's not born again. It's not simply laying aside some bad habits or turning over a new leaf or emerging on the other side of rehab. That's not born again. Born again is not a change in philosophy or political affiliation. That's not born again. Born again is not having some epiphany and changing careers in midstream or looking at life from a different viewpoint. That is not born again. The born again that Jesus spoke about is a radical spiritual transformation brought about by the supernatural work of God's Holy Spirit that happens when a person repents of their sins and turns to Christ for the salvation of their lost soul. Born again is a surgery. It's a miracle. 
It is when you say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again from the dead, and I place my faith in you, and when you do that, something radical, I mean life-changing, I mean transforming, I mean metamorphosis, I mean you name it, it is as radical as radical gets. God reaches down by his spirit, touches your spirit, and that dead Adam nature is resurrected from the dead and made alive. You are given a brand new nature and the old Adam nature is crucified on the cross with Jesus Christ. It's radical. It's something that you can't do. Only God can do it. It's what happened to me. When I was 16 years old sitting in juvenile home and I'd been to counselors and I'd been to psychologists and I'd been to help people trying to help me through the confusion I was in as a teenager. But something happened to Jeff Wickwire when I did a simple thing. When I said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I'm praying in a jail cell. And when I did it, something happened. I didn't understand it at the time. But Titus said, because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. New birth, new life. Born once, you're dead. Born twice, you're alive. Born once, you're lost. Born twice, you're found. Born once, you're blind. Born twice, you see. Born again. Somebody asked the great preacher George Whitfield one day, why are you always preaching about how you got to be born again? He thought a minute and said, because you must be born again. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The Bible says when we turn to Christ Jesus, God's Spirit comes to live within us and we are adopted as His very own children and we call Him for the first time ever, Abba, Father. It's Father's Day. I'm so glad for my dad, but you know what? I'm so thankful for my spiritual Heavenly Father who, be, who begat me by His Spirit, who saved me and gave me a new nature. This makes it totally clear, contrary to PC philosophy and all we're hearing in our sympathetic, misled culture, that we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're not. We're all created by God. But you can't say you're God's child unless you have been begotten by God. And the only way you can be begotten by God is to be born again. Born again. It's quiet in here on Father's Day. Now, Jesus made it very plain what your life would look like if God were your heavenly Father. I, you know, I, I don't watch them. I, I, as a matter of fact, I think it's sad that these kind of shows are out there. But anyway, we've seen these shows where the whole thing revolves around some poor girl sitting in a, in a hot seat, and there's a host of a, a, the host of a show. And uh, it's all about who's your daddy. And so here's the girl who had the baby, and there's two guys, maybe three guys behind some curtain. 
And the whole thing is the show has done a DNA test, and they're going to show by the end of the show who the daddy is. Now, that's really tragic. It's tragic on so many levels. It's tragic that she would not know who. And most of the time she's not married, so that's tragic too. But, but aside from that, you know how it all comes down. The host has an envelope and the DNA test, and you got these two guys or three guys behind the curtain, and they're all tense and chewing their nails. And the, and the girl is wondering who the real daddy is, and, and they're all saying, it's not me, it's not me. But the truth is about to be told when the host slowly opens up the envelope and gives dramatic pause, and there's a drum roll, and he names the name, and the camera's on the guy. Oh, no. Instead of going, all right, the way it should be. But it's a paternity test. And, you know, Jesus told us what our lives would look like to a point, uh, sort of a paternity test, a way to know that God is your Father. Now, let me just share a couple of things with you that Jesus said. Paternity test number one. He said, you would love him. That is Jesus. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God. Isn't that powerful? Can I tell you, if you're really a child of God, you will love Jesus. You will love Jesus. You will have a love for Jesus. It'll bother you when people take his name in vain. It'll bother you when they run him down. It'll bother you when they marginalize him. It'll bother you, uh, see, because you love him. John wrote, everybody who loves the Father also loves the one born of him, his offspring. All those who truly love God will also love his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus looked at these Pharisees and Sadducees who were planning to murder him. And he said, let me tell you the truth about you. If you really love God and knew God like you say you do, you wouldn't be planning to murder me. You would love me. There is something that happens when a person is born again. God plants a seed of love for Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses, Peter wrote, although you've never seen him, you love him. You know how I know a real child of God? They love Jesus. Can I tell you guys something here today? You men, you dads, real men love Jesus. Amen. Amen. They do. There's nothing more appealing than a man who loves God and loves Jesus Christ. Forget the macho man. Listen, I, I, like, I love being masculine male. I love my masculinity. But I've got to tell you, I love Jesus. Why do I love Jesus? Because he first loved me. I love Jesus because he came into my heart, and I can't tell you how it happened. Just one day I woke up after I gave my heart to him, and I realized that I, I, I loved him. It was a work of God. And you can't be saved genuinely, really, truly, and not love Jesus Christ. That's the acid test. Where there is no love for Christ, there has been no conversion. That's why we come in here, we worship Him, we sing songs about I love worship, I love worshiping the Lord. Why? Because it gives me an opportunity to love Him, to adore Him, to magnify Him, to draw near to Him, to enjoy His presence.
As a man, I love Jesus. What about you? As a man, do you love Jesus? As a woman, do you really love Jesus? See, the religious love ritual. But those who are saved love Jesus. That's how the martyrs all through the centuries were able to be tied to a stake, set on fire, and go to heaven singing hymns to him. Willingly gave their lives, their fortunes, their reputations, their names, because they loved Jesus. Can I tell you, Jesus is coming back for a church that loves him. He's not coming back for a religious church. He's coming back for a church that is in love with him and loves his appearing. You want to make a great goal for the rest of this year? Make it a goal to love him more than you love him right now. I mean, just spend time with him. To know Jesus is to love him. Can I have an amen here today? I want to know who I'm talking to. The saved love him. Another key evidence, and I want to close with this, is if you really have God as your father, you'll not only love Jesus, really love him from your heart, but you will hear and heed his words. Jesus said, he who is of God or from God or begotten by God hears God's words. Therefore, he said to the Pharisees, you do not hear because you're not of God. Told those teachers of the law, you are not of God. Now, Jesus was not talking about people who simply listen, listen, but don't do anything about it. He's referencing those who listen and then do what God says. They listen and do what God says. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I've asked you to do? Amen? Here's the fact. The genuine child of God will experience a changed lifestyle that comes into line with the teachings of Jesus. If he's our Savior, he's our teacher. If he's our Savior, he's our philosopher. You can't disconnect the Savior from the teacher. See, when I get into a fix, I don't want to know what Oprah has to say or Dr. Phil. Oprah and Dr. Phil are not my counselors. They're not. And I'm not going to go running off to People magazine or read something out of the secular culture to know how to fix my problems. If I'm in being tempted, I want to know what Jesus said. If I've got a marriage problem, I want to know what Jesus said. If I, if I need to be healed, I want to know what Jesus said. If I've lost my peace, I want to know what Jesus said. If I need wisdom on money, I want to know what Jesus said. Listen, he's not just our Savior. He's our primary chief philosopher. He's the greatest teacher that ever walked planet earth and he can walk you through any problem in life because summed up in him is all of the wisdom of God. And I've noticed something about people that are really saved and people who kind of thought they were saved. People who are really saved they're always wanting to know what the Bible says and how it tells them to live. And then they want to go do it. And it's not a problem with them. As a matter of fact, when he's really your father, you want to know what he's saying about something so you can go do it. So you can live it. So you can walk it. James said you must be doers of the word and not only hearers who mislead themselves. 
so powerful and so important that we follow what Jesus said. A child who loves his parents wants to do what they say. Listen to what John wrote. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not a burden to us. See, when you're really saved, I've learned a long time ago, the devil lies about Jesus every chance he gets. And he'll tell you, well, if you become a Christian, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to live it. It's too hard, too many rules and regulations. But then I hear what Jesus said about himself. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, listen, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So when you live according to the teachings of Jesus as a child of God, he's not a burden. As the song says, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. He's, he doesn't lay stuff on you like that. No, I tell you what really weighs your life down. Sin will weigh it down. Disobedience will weigh it down. Satan will make life a burden for you. Sin will take the joy out of life. It'll take the skip out of your step, the gleam out of your eye, the fun out of life. But Jesus gives joy unspeakable and full of glory, and his burden is light. So today on Father's Day, Catch this, the person whose spiritual father is God will cherish and hold to the teachings of Jesus. And the person who has truly been born again loves Jesus. Let's stand together, can we? Now I want us just to take a moment. If we could bow for just a moment of prayer. I don't know all of you that are here. But I do know this, that everyone in this room and everybody listening by radio have a spiritual father, one or the other. It's either God or it is the devil. You have a new nature or you have Adam's nature. You have life or you're in spiritual death. And I know that God wants to give you a brand new beginning as only He can. And I want to pray with you about this today. See, you may not have another chance like this. You may walk out of here and for some reason or another never end up in church again. You may never hear another message like this. And I want to encourage you to listen carefully to what you've heard and realize that God is knocking on the door of your heart today. If you've drifted from the Lord, oh, He's calling you back home. And His arms are wide open for you. If you have a question mark about whether or not you've ever been truly born again and God is your spiritual Father, then you probably need to settle the question today. So with our heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I've, I've walked with him, but I have certainly drifted. Or I don't know that I've ever been born again. And I would like to know. I'd like to know today. I'd like to settle the issue today.
I'm going to ask you right where you are, would you slip your hand up in the air and say, I'm in one of those two categories, and I'll let you pray with me. Raise them high. God bless you. God bless you. You and you. God bless you. I want you to listen. Forget about everybody in here. Don't worry about everybody in here. We've all been right where you are. But I do want you to do something. Faith is a verb. Faith requires an action. And I'm going to ask you, if you raise your hand, if you can say, I'll let you pray for me about this, I want you to slip out and come down to the front right now and let me do that right here. I want to meet you. I want to shake your hand. And I want to settle the issue right here today. I'm asking you to slip out and come right where you are. We're going to worship for a minute. Just tell your feet to begin to walk, and God is going to bless you the minute you take a step because this needs to be settled today. You come now, and we're going to wait for you. In Jesus' name, let's worship.